Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well, as I said last week, uh, those who are not visiting, and I know we have some people in Castle Rock who are visiting, which is nice, uh, we've got Gift Day uh, coming up at the chapel next week. And this is an opportunity for people to make uh, gifts to the chapel over and above their normal contribution, a sort of harvest offering for the year. Um, it might be you've done well in your business or... Some of you have sold your houses well, or things have matured in a way that uh, gives you a capacity to give, and sort of that's the idea anyway, and it comes at this time of harvest, uh, when we see what the year has brought us. And just like the farmer looks out over her crops before bringing in the harvest, we can look out over our life and see how it stands at this time of the year. Um, we did an audit on our lives last week, uh, filled in a form and stuff like that. If you're still uh, wanting to do that, if you missed it, it's on the website. You can just see it above the, uh, the square where the watch uh, thing is. You can download that and do the audit. Just in- enable you to see how your life's panned out, what have you achieved socially, spiritually, financially, you know, how you're living right now. And what can we learn uh, in terms of reaping at this time of harvest. And if you didn't do the uh, audit, you know, just get a sense of it yourself as to what's going on. But once you've looked at your life, what I want to look at, you know, what do you do next? Once you've reviewed what's going on, do we need a bit of crop rotation? Or let a bit of our life lie a bit fallow for a while? How are we doing about uh, going on with that? Because... As I mentioned last week, Einstein said that insanity was doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And we're all, I think, prone to doing that. And I think one guide is that quote from St. Francis that I used. Rivers do not drink their own water. Trees do not eat their own fruit. The sun doesn't shine on itself, and flowers don't spread fragrance for themselves. Living for others is the rule of nature. We're born to help each other, no matter how difficult it is. Life's good when you're happy, but much better when others are happy because of you. And as we review our lives, I think it's important to ask the question, How do we go about caring for the happiness of others? Well, one part of that is looking at how much we do for our own comfort and how much we do for the comfort of others. It's very easy to live a life primarily for your own comfort. And then once we're comfortable, give what we can from what's left over. To do that's to put our own comfort before anything else. And it severely restricts our ability to give to others. Now, some of you may have seen in the papers that from November the 1st, we're becoming a night shelter here for those in Aspen uh, who've not got homes. And from that date at the end of April, uh, from that date, November the 1st, until the end of April, those who've got nowhere to sleep at night can come here and use the chapel as a place of warm shelter. They're going to arrive about 9 o'clock at night and leave by 7. Now, although it'll be comfortable for them, 
it may not be so comfortable for the rest of us. The cleaning, the inconvenience, the worry about what might happen to the building. You know, it's definitely not in our comfort zone. But that's what just, you know, that's the way I think it should be. We're not just giving out of what's left after we ourselves have got comfortable. We're giving, you know, the giving actually makes us uncomfortable. And that's real giving rather than just passing on what we don't strictly have need of. Giving out of our comfort zone, we make a priority to make others happy. Giving out of our discomfort, we make a priority to make others happy rather than just looking after our own happiness. And, you know, to tell you the truth, you know, I feel privileged that we can do this at the chapel. It makes all that we do and say here worthwhile. We're here to serve our community, and that's one tangible way we can do it, even if it might feel a bit uncomfortable for us. When we're able to give, even if it makes us uncomfortable, then we begin to have a freedom in our giving. We're not restricted by our discomfort. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, in Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. While encouraging the believers in Corinth to give generously, he didn't want them to give beyond their means. He wanted them to rely on their inner convictions. And the decision to give to others, even if we have a little discomfort, is key to our ability to give joyfully and with freedom. If we're always looking as to whether or not we're comfortable ourselves after our giving, then what we're really looking at is our own level of comfort rather than looking at others and see how we can make them happy. We know we can give ourselves, all of us, you know, most of us know that we can give when we're uncomfortable because we do it for our children and we give even if it's uncomfortable, to our families? How often do we go out of our way to make our children happy, even if it's to our own discomfort? Dad, would you pick me up at the party at midnight, please? And don't be the first parent to arrive. You know, can I have five people to stay over tonight? Will you pay for my college? You know, none of that is comfortable. And yet, we all do it. Actually, you know, the word comfort is not really understood, I don't think. We describe people as being, you know, when we think of people as being comfortably off, we think of them as being, you know, at ease and in affluence. We think of ourselves being comfortable and we think of pillows and cushions and a general lack of pain. But in reality, the word comfort comes from the Latin word comfortare, which means con, much, and fortare, to strengthen. So to comfort is to strengthen much. And, you know, we use that word when we say, you know, I comforted him after the tragedy. It doesn't mean I took away the pain. It means we strengthen them. That's where the word comfort comes from. And when we look at the idea of our comfort zone, when we think of making ourselves comfortable and then giving, we should really be thinking about uh, of using the pain that we have and giving to others, we should be thinking not, not of getting rid of our pain, but we th should be thinking about strengthening ourselves. We see 
you know, that in giving to our family members. We brace ourselves, we grit our teeth, and then we just go and we give. With those we less uh, care about, not so much bracing and gritting, I think. With those we care less for, it's more like you can have something of what I have left once I've taken the pain out of my life. I don't want to increase my pain by giving something to you. This idea of strengthening ourselves for giving, I think it's quite useful. That use of comfort as strengthening. It makes us think that the idea of strengthening ourselves is the important thing, not getting rid of our pain. As I said, you know, we're quite willing to give out of our pain to our family, to those that we love. But when it's outside our family, you know, we can be less willing to give. And does that mean we love those who are outside of our circle less? Well, the answer is probably yes, it does. You know, we're not willing to love them in the same way. We give to them as long as it doesn't cause us too much pain. But it's not really difficult to make a case, you know, it's, it, it's difficult to make a case for loving only some people, but not others. They say that marriage is like, is like life, in that there are good times and in bad times, there's sickness and there's health. And just as we have to keep on loving in marriage to keep it alive, so we have to keep on you know, loving in life to keep our lives wholesome. It cannot be we just love a few people. We have to be completely open to loving life itself, and that includes everybody, which is why we have to comfort ourselves to give, to strengthen ourselves rather than just try and get comfortable ourselves before we give. So as we go forward from a harvest year and we try to think about putting our emphasis not just on making ourselves happy, but making others happy. We have to look at the extent to which we withhold ourselves to those around us when we're in pain. We have to watch out for that, to guard against selectivity, to guard against just making ourselves happy and think about what we're giving, when in fact we're just giving what we don't need ourselves. And that's a different game. That famous prayer from... St. Ignatius Loyola, who said, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward save knowing that I do your will. That is loving life in a way that frees us to experience the joy that really comes from giving to others because we're not guarding ourselves first. We're not keeping back. And, and, you know, the choices come to us on a daily basis. Do we give time to that annoying person who always wants our attention? Do we offer that person a lift because we know they need it, even if it's out of our way? Do we give comfort to the homeless person? Do we strengthen them? Do we give time to the waiter? or the grocery clerk? Do we volunteer our time to causes that we know need us? In essence, do we bear the pain that we have but give comfort and strengthen others? And where do we go for our comfort and strength? 
you know, it says in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. And that's really where we should draw from to give. If we only look at our own meager resources, then we'll always be thinking of scarcity and we'll be unwilling to give because of the pain of loss. But if we give out of our relationship with the divine, that ocean of capability, out of that well of love that we have within us, then, then we have unlimited resources. It's about realizing that this love is inexhaustible and therefore we can give and not count the cost. Because to love is to give with no expectation of return. And we can only do that by giving out of a deep love that we have within us. To do anything else is to make a bargain with our time, with our money, and with our resources. To say, I will give to you because I have something left over. I don't really need it. Rather, I'm giving to you because, you know, it makes me feel better. That's different from I'm giving to you out of the love that I have within myself. And those two ways of giving are very different. And they're the essence of that quote from Pope Francis, that rivers do not drink their own waters, trees do not eat their own fruit, the sun does not shine on itself, and flowers do not spread their fragrance for themselves. Living for others is the rule of nature. We're born to help each other no matter how difficult it is. Life is good when you're happy, but much better when others are happy because of you. So we're born to help each other, no matter how difficult it is, and really there's the rub. It doesn't say we're born to help each other when we have spare time or money or talent. It says that we're there to help each other, and it may be difficult and painful. And it doesn't say that you know, we're born just to help our family and friends. But we're there to help each other, no matter who that other might be. That old story of the guru who was asked, you know, how should we treat others? And the guru says, there are no others. As we look at our lives and as we look at how we can improve what we do, so we don't suffer from the insanity of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. We have the opportunity to change the way we approach our lives. And that's why I like the reading that Heather read this morning. A person may learn to be completely virtuous, to, to be a completely good person. But if he, if he or she is unable to serve others, if his usefulness is limited by the fact that he himself needs help, then he cannot be said to be completely virtuous. A truly virtuous person cannot be indifferent to the troubled world in which she lives and must develop skills and methods by which to help himself and others. And as we go forward in this, that's what we all have to continually learn, how to serve rather than just serving ourselves how to love rather than just loving our own circle, how to strengthen ourselves so that we can give even when we're in pain. Only then will we learn how to give and not count the cost, how to fight and not heed the wounds, how to toil and not seek for rest, and how to labor and not ask for any reward save that we're doing 
your will. So look, I always put a microphone here. Anybody wants to say anything back to me uh, from the uh, make a, uh, from the talk or or share an experience? So do just go up to the microphone. I'll take you. But occasionally people don't do that. So I do prepare something as well. I've got a little story here, which I like the story because it really does show, I think, and I'll repeat this again afterwards. But that the end point of the spiritual life is service. The end point of the spiritual life. It's not enlightenment. It's, not, it's, it's service. It, this is from a, a book called The Writings of Zen Master Dojin, Moon in a Dewdrop. It's a great book, actually. In the fifth month of the 16th year of Jading, which is 1223, I was staying on a ship. This is obviously Dojin lived in the 13th century. I was staying on a ship in Quangjing. One time I was talking with a captain and a monk about 60 years old came on board. He talked to a Japanese merchant and then bought some mushrooms from Japan. I invited him to have tea and asked him where he came from. And he said he came from a Tenzo near a, a mountain. I am from Shu in Western China, he said, and I've been away from my native place for 40 years. Now I'm 61 years old. I've visited monasteries in various places. Some years ago, priest Aquain became abbot of Gurun Temple. So I went to see Mr. Aquain and entered practice over there. I was appointed Tsenzo of the monastery, and tomorrow is the 50th day of the 50th month, but I have nothing good to offer the community. I wanted to make noodle soup, but we didn't have any mushrooms, so I made a special trip here to get some mushrooms to offer to the monks from the Ten Directions. I asked him, when did you leave there? After the noon meal. And how far away is it? 34 or 35 li, which is about 12 miles. I'll go back as soon as I brought the mushrooms. I said, today we met unexpectedly and I had a conversation on this ship. It is not, surely that is a good cause for a relationship. Please let me offer you a meal. It is not possible. I don't oversee tomorrow's offering. If I don't get it, it won't be good. Is there not someone else in the monastery that understands cooking, even when the zendo is missing? Is something to be lacking? I have taken this position in my old age. This is the fulfillment of many years of practice. How can I delegate my responsibility to others? Besides, I didn't ask permission to stay out. I asked the Tenzo, Tenzo's a cook, Honorable Tenzo, why don't you concentrate on Zazen practice and on the study of the ancient master's words rather than troubling yourself by holding a position in a Tenzo and just working? Is there anything good about this? The Tenzo laughed a lot and replied, Good man from a foreign country, you do not yet understand practice or know the meaning of the words of the ancient masters. Hearing him, I respond this way. Hearing him respond this way, I suddenly felt ashamed and surprised. So I asked him, what words? What is practice? The Tenzo said, if you penetrate this question, how can you fail to become a person of understanding? But I didn't understand. And the Tenzo said, if you do not understand this, please come with me to Mount Arangdu sometime. We will discuss the meaning of words. 
He spoke in this way, and then he stood up and said, The sun will soon be down. I must hurry. And he left. And so the guy was, you know, who was saying this was thinking that the most important thing was prayer and practice and study and meditation. Why are you being a cook when you could be doing all those important things? And he said, the most important thing is service. That's what I'm here for. That's what I've signed up for. And that is the meaning of all those words, all those sentences over all those years. And I think it's good to reflect on that, that service is really what we're here to do. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.